and this is a reminder that I always need. I remind you to keep your questions brief, your preludes brief, and I will call for the question if it gets too long. And um, please return to your seats after you've asked your questions. And no questions from the floor, please, because then we, then we can't all hear it. Okay, thank you. Thank you for your talk. Uh, I'm a, I, my name is Mary Shillington. I'm a retired clinical social worker. And uh, uh, I, uh, I was interested in your comments about social media and also about the health link line. Uh, and I know it's possible to do uh, counseling with that. Uh, I wasn't involved in it, in it but Lethbridge Family Services was. Uh, people went out to the uh, mental health building in the past and... Uh, they had a, a TV connection, with, and we had one, and they could see each other, uh, the counselor and the client. And, and as long as people were willing to do that kind of thing, it, it seemed to work fairly well. Have you had any experience with uh, evaluating any of that kind of thing? No, but Alberta Health Services, uh, I believe it's headquartered out of Pinoca, mm-hmm. the telemental health. Uh, I forget his name. There's a doctor there that uh, coordinates it. He uh, he's, he does quite a bit of research, and Alberta's actually a leader in that in this field, mm-hmm. and it's 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 pretty up and going. But it's just some of the things. Like one thing I do know from in terms of research that it helps if you have a very large screen. Mm-hmm. You know, not using a television, a display screen that's small. So the larger, the better, so you can get the facial details and, and stuff like and that. And the body language. And the yeah. body language, yeah. Because yeah. it's hard to, like if you have, also if you have multiple people and they each have a box, then it even becomes smaller. Mm-hmm. And uh, for those of you of, of us who are sight-challenged, cha- uh, we need stuff that's bigger. Yeah. Well, and I think one of the things that some of the counselors at LFS found was that if they could go out to the site and meet the, the new client, then then they could establish a rapport and then build on that as they used the system. And so yeah. that seemed to work better. Too. Yeah, and I, I do know that, uh, uh, for example, Catherine gets uh, gifts from from people, you know, all these strange little mugs, fat mass mugs and stuff. And it, it just seems an interesting area that sort of under the radar because traditionally we don't think of uh, of medical service medical services being administered over the internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, there also are also bad things like uh, the recent um, incident that happened from a U.S. Um, nurse that uh, counseled somebody for suicide. So it, and she she actually committed suicide and he was charged. So there are actual dark things that can mm-hmm. happen as well. So you have to still be careful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, my name is Pat Greenlee. I, I, you mentioned that there are five or well, eight the, or something different kinds of schizophrenia. No, what they think it, today there's just schiz- there's there's paranoid schizophrenia. Uh, where you're catonic, uh, there's the different forms depending on which psychiatrist you talk to, and but there's have schizophrenia. But what could happen in the future with schizophrenia 
is similar to what breathlessness was in the 19th century. In the 19th century, people would get consumption or breathlessness. And the, uh, I'll give you an example with breathlessness. It might have been angina. It might have been asthma. It might have been some sort of problem with the chest. And they were all these different illnesses, but they lumped them because they didn't have the, the diagnostic tools. They lumped them all together and called it breathlessness. And that's the stage where we're at with schizophrenia, where it's, it's my schizophrenia might be different than my friend's. Mine might be genetic chromosome 15, whatever. His might be 16. Or his might be induced by trauma. It's, that's very unpopular to say it's induced by trauma. But it, it might have a different cause. Also, um, because with schizophrenia, it might... There's, there seems to be similar symptoms in many cases, but uh, it can be caused by different things, triggered by different things. What they think is that it's a predisposition in the genetics of the human population. So there's a large segment of the population that has the predisposition to uh, have it. And then a trigger occurs, usually related to some sort of stress to the brain, it can be, for example, divorce. I've known of women that get divorced, uh, triggering it, or job loss, or military service, or Antarctica, or going to geography department at the university. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Dr. Campbell, I didn't go to education here, so it wasn't your department that causes schizophrenia. So I so, just wanted to make that clear. So that's why... One medication doesn't fit all. Well, exactly. It could actually be different kinds of different actual illnesses that because of our inexactness, we haven't been able to part them into the different illnesses. So when one person gets um, assigned a medication, then they have to keep going back to make sure that it's working for their kind yeah. of schizophrenia. Yeah, also also the other thing is the medications tend to wear off over time. They, they also seem, the body seems to adjust it. I've known some people that, like I've been on, uh, the longest I've ever been on uh, med is this Risperidol Constom on. And it, I've been on it for uh, now almost seven years. And uh, so... Uh, you know, the, that's why you have to keep seeing the doctor. Is, and, and also stress can affect it, and, you know, life can be stressful. And when you have an illness like this, or bipolar or depression, stress in your life can trigger more symptoms. Thank you. Are there any other questions? I guess there are. My name is Tad Mitsui. Thank you very much for your presentation. You're welcome. Um, maybe I'm totally off target, but isn't mental illness about society? Those who don't fit in are often called mentally ill. I, I, well, I, when I was in seminary, I read uh, psychiatrist analysis of Martin Luther, a uh, reformer who might have been mentally ill. Or if you read the story of uh, St. Catherine of Siena, definitely I can see some kind of a mental illness in today's terms. Uh, 
if uh, mentally ill people lived, the, the, let's say, 600 years ago, they might have been a saint. So it yeah. all depends what people are mentally ill or ill because they don't fit in. Well, the, a lot of that, what, what that is, is the feedback with stigma and discrimination. I think some societies are better at dealing with with mental illness than others. Like if I, like, uh, for one thing, Japan doesn't deal with schizophrenia very well because you lose control. Um, Cuba does better, is one of the best places with schizophrenia to live, even though there's certain problems of living in Cuba. But uh, because their culture seems to me more accepting. So you are right that it can be easier, but I think that um, what you're saying is... 20%, at least 20%, maybe 40 to 50% of the population will at some point in their life suffer from a mental illness. Now, it's how you, you personally come to terms with that and how the people around that come to terms with it. Um, you know, that obviously we don't have psychiatric hospitals filled with 50% of the population. So people are able to function even some university professors and are able to function with a mental illness and, and uh, you know, lawyers and stuff. So it, 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 the thing is that your life can be better with uh, treatment. That's one thing that wasn't available back in previous generations is they didn't have these medicines. And really, um, you know, especially for illnesses such as depression, you know, you were talking about Catherine of Siena. Some saints suffered from depression. And today, is it better to say, well, I'm going to seek treatment. Today we have access to better medicines. We don't deny that because somehow we feel it interferes with our value system. We avail ourselves of those technologies that have come about as long as they're not unethical. Uh, some people think some of these technologies are unethical, but um, um, I don't. I don't think so. Have I answered your question, really? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, first, thanks everybody for the uh, birthday wishes. Uh, I was really quite surprised. Uh, my question: um, Many of the uh, medicines or drugs that are prescribed for uh, schizophrenia uh, eventually. Uh, have a, a side of a significant side effect uh, of uh, Parkinson's, and I wondered if you could offer any comments on um, uh, what's being done about or what what uh, looks like lies ahead for drug-induced uh, Parkinson's. Well, it's usually called tardive dyskinesia. Also, uh, there's increased. They think there might be increased risk of Alzheimer and dementia for certain types of mental illness, that the damage occurs and over age can increase with age. But um, um, it's called tardive dyskinesia, and that's the tremors. For those of you that remember, um, with the old medicines, you used to get shaking and twitching, and you could tell instantly whoever was on Haldol because that would occur. Is it time? Oh, sorry. <laughs> also, not speaking into the mic was a symptom, too. 
Uh, that's a symptom of schizophrenia. I tell my wife uh, that it's because of my schizophrenia I can't do the dishes. And, um, you know, I, uh, I think that's a pretty good uh, excuse. I, I don't know. Uh, well, yeah, she, I'm not a very – I break dishes, so she, I don't do it on purpose. But, uh, you know, I'm about as good as the dog. But, uh, you know, in terms of Parkinson's, the Parkinsonian symptoms, the tremors and stuff, the new medications, the Risperidol, Lanzapine, Zeldox, have some people still get them, but generally they're a lot less onerous in terms of those symptoms appearing than they were before. Also, um, sometimes it's a sign that the level of the medication is too high for the individual, so they might be getting too much of a level and it's, it's building up to a toxic level. So, um, and uh, they generally now try to uh, administer medicines to a point where you're able to function, not necessarily completely eradicate symptoms. So that means that um, the toxic levels that they used to reach are, are not the same unless you, you have serious problems. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Hello again. Hi. I just had a question. Oh, my name is Charlene. And I was just wondering, I'd heard that people in developing countries tend to have a more favorable disease course than people in uh, developed countries despite uh, modern medicine. And I was just wondering if that extends to any differences between rural and urban areas and disease course. I, I think there might be some, I, I don't know, like, it could have something to do with the overall pressure of living in urban areas is more of a pressure than in, in terms of too much different stimuli than in a rural area. I don't know of much on it. You probably as a student know more than I do about that area because that's because you probably asked the question. She was in a class uh, this morning in Dr. Mather's class. And so, uh, so basically I think that it has to do with stress after the incident, and also um, uh, maybe in the third world, because of impoverishment, uh, people's social fabric is is better, um, you know, and uh, their cultures are better able to adapt to uh, some of the side effects of having the illness and, and the medications. Thank you. Did I answer the question? Good. Hi, my name is Knut Peterson. Austin, thanks very much for coming down in the, welcome. In the snowstorm yesterday. Uh, my question is, is there any early or treatable early warning systems for schizophrenia that uh, may well, lessen the blow? Well, actually, the, I was talking to Dr. Mather, who, was, uh, who teaches this class on schizophrenia this morning, about two pieces of research, very obscure research that I saw. One is that folic acid or pantholytic acid, fo the folic acid, the women in the audience will remember that's a supplement for before pregnancy, that apparently that, uh, if you get the right dosage of that, it can reduce, theoretically reduce the incidence. If you have it in your family, you should get all women and grandchildren and grandnieces and stuff to take this from the age of 13 on because apparently it somehow 
protects the myelin sheaths in the brain. And so that's one, folic acid. And the second is for at-risk uh, children. Of, For example, if I had children today, they, it wasn't available before. They didn't have talk therapies, but they have certain talk therapies for early childhood uh, called cognitive behavioral therapy, which is a type of therapy that teaches techniques to prevent or ameliorate the effects of schizophrenia. And they do some of it in England. The English are very up on this, and they're spreading the word. Although I don't know, again, with the new government, I don't know if they're still doing that. Yes? Uh, Terry Schillingman, thank you very much for uh, your sharing, uh, both personal and um, uh, academic. Um, it occurs to me to ask about uh, gender and uh, mental illness uh, generally, but also schizophrenia in particular. Uh, does it tend to afflict one half of the human race more than the other? And if so, why? No, well, I have, I was telling uh, uh, Bev, actually, uh, for those of you of the female persuasion in the audience, the reason women get it later, they theorize, than men, because women usually, the early onset is about 25. For men, early onset would be about 15, 14, 16 in the teenage years. And they think it's because of the protective elements that the period brings to women's brains, the hormone surges, so there is a use for the period. So that always gets a laugh. I don't know why. And uh, so that's one thing. That's one theory why women get it later. Generally, women and men get it at the same rate. Also, uh, men seem to have a general, slightly better prognosis in later age after male and female menopause than women if, it, if they've had it for a while. So that's what happened with John Nash, the famous uh, Princeton uh, mathematician, the one that won the Nobel Prize, is he started to actually spontaneously get better in the uh, 1980s. And it was just very gradual and just a little bit, but it was enough for him to get steady enough to accept treatment, and therefore he, uh, he was able to... Actually, he even I think he still even teaches there one course a year. So he, he feels quite blessed by that. Any other questions? I assume nobody's at the mic, so... You admit. You had mentioned something about um, synthroid and the effects on the thyroid of some of the medications. Maybe you could tell us a little yeah. bit more about that. One of the things that is comorbid, like the same, the illness occurs with schizophrenia and bipolar. There's a link somehow between schizophrenia and bipolar. They think could be somehow associated with each other. But those two illnesses, in first separation relations, they have an increased risk of thyroid conditions, that your thyroid getting damaged, and uh, diabetes. So, for example, if I was to have a child, they would, and they didn't have schizophrenia, they would still have an increased risk than the general population of having diabetes or a thyroid condition. The meds seem to be the primary culprit with a, lot, a very big surge. Uh, for example, my thyroid is, is, uh, is kaput. Or, I mean, it's still a little bit 
active, but it uh, it got uh, damaged by the meds and the illness. So uh, and also diabetes that occurs along with the uh, uh, effects of the medication and uh, and uh, the uh, the drugs as well that you take to combat it. Mary Shillington again. We had quite a discussion at our table uh, about the the rural and the urban issues, and and the fact that there's not uh, psychiatrists available easily, uh, and so some concern about um, how if uh, if a person is diagnosed uh, with schizophrenia and and they actually live in a rural rural area, but they're they've gone to a doctor somewhere in in an urban area, and they're assigned a medication. How uh, how well uh, are the uh, local doctors, often the, the GPs, able to support that person with uh, with their medications and any possible well, potential treatments? Uh, Forty to fifty percent of people with schizophrenia in Canada, primary health care is done with a family physician. So there are quite a few people with schizophrenia that uh, that suffer from. Uh, schizophrenia with the help of their family doctor. Mm -hmm. It's just that it can be difficult, and some of the meds are very delicate, like the one I'm on, Mm -hmm. needs to be refrigerated within a five-degree window. So that's difficult to transport. Like, for example, Bev was talking about Vulcan. It would be difficult to keep it at that temperature all the way to Vulcan. And if it went up or down, it it wouldn't be as efficient. And uh, also... uh, Sometimes when there are injections that are necessary. Um, sometimes the doctors can be a bit nervous. Uh, doctors suffer from a lot of stigma about mental illness as well, you know. So uh, they might, um, they might uh, you know, misunderstand it, you know, like so many people do, although they, they generally are more aware. Do you see something that we as the general public could be supportive of uh, rural doctors and, and, and resources there? Well, I think that um, to support, uh, try to support outpatient clinics, nurse practitioners with specialization in mental health, mm-hmm. increased training for family physicians in the area of mental health, like uh, con- con- continuing credit, that kind of thing. Also, the pharmacists can be important uh, in the rural communities. If they could get training, uh, I've told the minister that uh, the uh, to uh, have injectables for schizophrenia and bipolar be able to be administered by pharmacists mm-hmm. in rural communities. That would relieve... Because uh, did any of you go to the pharmacist to get your flu shots? I got my flu shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you know, have the pharmacist administer... In many of the rural communities, the pharmacist is one of the central pillars of the health care system. Good. Thank you. Evertanis from Picture Butte. Thank you for your presentation, especially about the discrimination and stigma compared with other things that we have lumped together. We seems to be getting somewhere now, but it's still, I can see that it's difficult for somebody that has no supporting community and lives with this problem on the street. Now, having someone in the family makes it somewhat difficult to to cope with because 
you're 24-7 or 7-24, and, and it, it's a very stressful situation. There is very little help available, unless you can find it, but it's hard to find, for some people to be admitted for treatment, or because if they're adults, they have to agree to it themselves, unless you're the yeah. guardian. But it, it's almost a hopeless case if you're not the guardian, because how do you get them admitted for treatment? Because well, I, I know my, my daughter is a nurse, and she has a friend. She has, you know, she's practically doing nothing and always depressed. And so one time they were going out, and she wouldn't want to talk to nobody, and she just took her to the hospital. But they wouldn't accept her. So well, can we are, change the system? There are There is something called community treatment orders, um, which community treatment orders, which is enforced medical treatment, but the, sadly enough, the uptake in rural areas has not been as, this, as it should be in terms of percentages as it has been in the urban areas. And there, there is community treatment orders for somebody that is persistently ill. And one other thing is it doesn't have to be an imminent threat of suicide or homicide. It just has to be that their illness is incapacitating so much that then... And, and I talked to the family physician about uh, getting a community treatment order because then the government and the treatment team is forced to pay more attention to that individual, and hopefully they won't get too much more derailed. Thank you. My point on the, on the supplementary statement, uh, it, it becomes difficult to cope with it, so the parents go the same route as the child, or, or one of them goes well, and gets divorced. You know, the it, parents' family members, yeah. as I know, uh, family members have to make sure they take care of themselves. It's like one of the things in a, a plane that's going down is they always tell you, put your face mask on before you assist a neighbor. And that's not a selfish thing. That's to make sure you can help more people if you're actually relatively taking care of yourself. So you have to take care of your physical health and your mental health. And getting a reprieve, I know that's an issue for the Schizophrenia Society is always talking about, um, for parents. Thank and, you. Uh, but there's not really uh, options available. Okay, we have a question from the floor. Is there a way to mitigate some of the effects of schizophrenia by mitigating the poverty of Aish? In other words, what portion of illness is actually poverty-related? Well, um, poverty, my, my doctor talks a lot about poverty being like a, it's, it's definitely a result of having schizophrenia. It's, it's definitely a result. You're not able to earn as much money. Um, therefore, you put more stress on yourself especially in our materialistic consumer-oriented society, you're not allowed to be poor. It's somehow less, you're less of a citizen if you're poor. But um, the thing is that I, I think there is a f physical illness called schizophrenia, you know, that, that the situation might compound it, but that at the very least, with, uh, when you're on ACE, you can receive medications and pretty well all the medications are now available for treatment. They haven't been in the past. And um, that, you know, um, w the question is whether you want to help more people 
each person receiving less money or fewer people helped with more money. And, um, you know, the thing is that one would hope that that's why I mentioned about leisure access passes and bus passes. At the civic level, they can assist people on age by providing services that wrap around so that people have access to less expensive housing through subsidized housing. They have access to um, subsidized bus passes or fitness, fitness access, and, of course, accessing the food bank, which you can't really do in rural areas. Did I, re- did I answer that? Did anybody disagree with that? And I have one last question for you. In in your bio, you talk about your advocacy role, in particular with the with the provincial government. Could you talk about some of the kinds of things that you are advocating for now? Well, I would like to add, say that I've I've had some success with advocating on behalf of medications, and that I'd like to advocate for psychological um, counseling, such as CBT as what the model they did in England, where uh, people previously did in England, uh, where people who had schizophrenia or bipolar, severe bipolar, uh, had access to counseling that was specifically directed at supporting their integration of self so that they could take their medications. I think that counseling directed towards the person CBT encourages the person to handle their symptoms, so therefore they feel better and they are more likely to take the medicines and they realize the importance of them. Because when my great-grandmother got sick with schizophrenia in the 1890s, uh, there were no treatments really available, and today there are. It's just a matter of trying to access them, and sadly enough, so many people don't access them properly or because of stigma and discrimination, self-stigma. I'd also like to uh, continue to uh, advocate in the media for a more reasonable society perspective towards mental illness, that it is an illness that, while it can't be cured, many of the mental illnesses can't be cured, they can at least be chronically managed, like diabetes is. Diabetes is something that in the past would be very serious. And today, if you do what the doctor says, you can live a fairly long life. Mary Tyler Moore has had it since childhood, and she's still functioning and alive and with all her limbs. Join with me in thanking our speaker, Dr. Austin Barton.